people complained about our music, so we fixed this up for you guys. Enjoy. Ready? Rick. Three, two, one. Crowdfunding nerds. You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. This is season two. We are in episode, what, 55 right now? 54, because episode zero doesn't really count because it was two minutes, um, even though it took us two hours of recording. I am Andrew Lowen, your fearless leader, and I am joined, as always, by Sexy Irish Sean and SEO Wizard Rick. Happy, happy new year, everybody. Whoop, whoop, 2022. Your your mic is blowing a little bit. I don't know. Happy new will. year, everybody. It's the same. Well, I'll, I'll do it less excitedly. Okay. Happy, <laughs> <laughs> happy new year, everybody. Happy 2022. Happy whoop, whoop. All right. Yeah. So happy new year, everybody. Happy 2022. It's a new year, new start, new you and new Kickstarter project, right? You're going to guys, you're going to put those uh, new Kickstarters up online this year, right? Right. No more pushing off the 10th year or 11th year of your project idea. Get it going now. And on today's episode, we are going to be talking about email marketing. And I'm going to be grilling these two guys because email marketing is not my specialty. And there's been quite a few changes this past year that is going on in the email world. And so there's important things that they want to share with us. And like I said, I'm I'm the, uh, the, the noob when it comes to email marketing. That's not my forte. So I will be asking them really stupid questions on uh on some of these topics but of course you know they're great questions because a lot of us just don't know what it is so i'm gonna let's let's kick it back off to andrew on today's topic with email marketing tips thank you so much for that wonderful introduction rick i think that one of the places that people get their the entire thing it's it's a house a marketing campaign is a is a, a house of cards that will fall over with a a gust of wind oftentimes because email marketing is a fail point. Maybe I should restate that. If email marketing is a failure point in your in your marketing campaign, then the entire campaign is just a house of cards that can be blown over by a single gust of wind. There are a lot of misconceptions and there are, I mean, just so many ways to get it wrong that I think it's high time we really focused on it. And so there are some basics that I feel like, you know, how do you get an email marketing system that we're just not going to go over? I think that there are questions that are so basic that you can Google it, probably figure it out. But we will be um, talking about some what I would consider absolutely essential things that, yeah, may be basic at first glance, like subject lines, obviously every single email has to have a subject line, but solid subject lines. Yeah, you want to you avoid certain words like Viagra. So, <laughs> or Cialis, yeah. Sean, I know you were kind of the one that originally pitched the idea for, for covering it. You know, what prompted you to really want to talk about this? <laughs> this is our staff meeting and uh, you said that uh, my emails could use a bit of work, so I figured we could do a podcast on it. Oh. But there's also been some... <laughs> Stab me right in the heart. That's, that's called critical <laughs> feedback. <laughs> yeah, there's also been some changes to Mailchimp that we probably would be worth discussing. And I'm just looking at their pricing, and maybe some of our clients are wrong because some of our clients are saying, "Oh, we can't do the automations." But I think what they've done is that they've changed the welcome, the automated welcome email, 
to, they've removed that and they only have journeys. So right now that you can still do automation, but you just have to create a journey. They just allow you to do a one, one point journey. So I think mm. you can still automate your email on MailChimp and use it. It's just now called Why journey. Why do marketing companies do um, this? We want to be unique. They want we're more going, people You're to going pay. on a journey. It's <laughs> going to be a journey now. They've been acquired by QuickBooks. So Ooh. I think they want to make some quick cash. <laughs> <laughs> and I think they've uh, basically increased the, the pricing. Uh, well, not the pricing. I think they've diminished the features of the free accounts and trying to get people to upgrade. Well, I was going to say MailChimp has been, in the last few years, one of the most generous email providers, uh, email marketing uh, providers out there. Um, in fact, I believe we've been using it for for quite a few years now, just because it's a great start off point for beginners. Because originally it was you can sign up for free, and you could have up to uh, two thousand people in your email list for free. And I think you could send like something like ten thousand or nine thousand emails a month. Uh, you know, yep. you could send pretty much like three three or four emails out if you had a full list. And you know, and then once you hit two thousand, you should be at a point where you're making money with your list or. You have enough and then you pay from there. And that's what I liked about justify paying 30 bucks a month. <laughs> yeah. And that's what, cause a lot of these, uh, like, you know, like for example, like, uh, another company like a Weber, it's like 20 bucks off the bat or it was, I haven't looked at it recently, but I remember when I did marketing, email marketing back in the good old days, it was 20 bucks, no matter what, like you start paying $20 a month, whether you're successful or not, or making any money or not. So I like this because it gives you a chance to see if you're going to be successful. And if you are, then you go ahead and pay and continue on and, if not, then you try something else. And that's why MailChimp took basically, I mean, it's between 60 and 70% of all email marketing is done through MailChimp. At least it was. And I think that, that I mean, yeah, it sold for billions of dollars to the Intuit, which is the company that owns QuickBooks. I mean, they, did, they had a really, really great thing going with the free account. I think that was probably the reason that marketers like us kept directing our clients there not because we had anything to gain from it. Far from that. I mean, you create a free account. It's basically work for you or us and, you know, in order to get it set up. But it was so nice because the the idea behind things being free for a new struggling business, I mean, that is that was just fantastic with automation. They went through this round of things. So it used to be probably, I want to say like three years ago, they started making changes to their quote free accounts to kind of try to thin the, well, they, they made it harder to, I don't know what the right way to put it is. They, they adjusted it so that you would be um, enticed to pay uh, basically. And the first meaningful change that they made was actually removing the ability to have two administrative logins. You used to have two users that you could log in. So that would be a user for whoever the, the client was and then a, a user for us. So we could just have our company login. And that was that was really nice. Yeah. So we now we have to keep <laughs> keep usernames and passwords on file for, for people if we do their email marketing. Or they just have to upgrade their account, which most of them choose to do because they also force you to have two-factor authentication, which means if we log in, we've got to sort of pick a time that the client is at their phone or computer and able to verify our login. So it's just it's a bit cumbersome. Yep, every two weeks. Uh, yeah, two-factor two authentication, I got a lot of things. I mean, for as, as a marketing company, it's it's just difficult for us if, in a lot of things because you have to, like, like they were saying, you have to require someone else, whoever the account holder is, to be available at the exact same time that you're trying to get in. 
Um, and also, uh, there's some other security and concerns and privacy concerns involving two-factor authentication. But that's going to be on a separate podcast with between Sean and I and our privacy future privacy podcast. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so okay, so now they've changed some features. Oh, so I'll, I will add one more thing to that. It's that we all, I mean, all of us on this podcast think that two, a two-factor authentication is a good thing. It's just that when you remove the ability for us to access easily, it incentivizes the client to just upgrade to avoid the headache, which is kind of annoying, uh, but it was the first meaningful change that they made to make themselves more money. It also delays the marketing process. The issue is, like I said, security is important, but the issue is, is we have clients all over the world. And if someone's in a completely different time zone than, than I am, it's going to be very hard for us to meet up and get that. And so now you have like a delay. And, and a lot of times, you know, it can be, you know, up to 24 hour delay and something that could have been just easily logged in and clicked and done. I mean, it's, it's it, two factor authentication is great when it comes to security, but for marketing, you know, it, it is what it is, I guess. But yeah, separate accounts is what you want. You want separate accounts. Um, so how much how much uh, are they charging now for that little upgrade or, or what package is it that? See, a MailChimp is, is pricing can get kind of hairy very quickly because it's based on how many contacts you have. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they say, oh, the essentials is $10 a month, but that's with 500 contacts, which most of our clients don't have. So you kind of have to like see what do I want and then use like a little slider, like slide it up. <laughs> uh, so some of some of our clients have been using MailerLite because that allows a thousand subscribers, allows you to use automations, pretty much has the same features that MailChimp has. And that you only have to start paying 15 bucks a month once you sort of hit the threshold um, of a thousand and you can basically 15 bucks for 2,500. And that'll probably meet most people's needs for their for the first campaign, if anything. Yeah, and it, it's actually a little more cost effective than MailChimp. If you're paying for MailChimp or MailerLite, MailChimp will cost like $31 a month for what MailerLite charges uh, $15 a month for. And as a um, as a business, uh, for me, you know, with Deliverance, for example, that's long established and has used you know email marketing a long time, I'm just kind of casually paying, what is it, like $60 or $70 a month right now. And, um, you know, that's uh, that's an expense that I'm actually looking to cut. So MailerLite is a, um, a great alternative. You know, if it's going to cost less uh, a month to just maintain a larger email list, it's definitely something that looks quite attractive. And um, MailerLite has all sorts of great integrations, just like MailChimp does. And so you know, when you get into that kind of paid feature, you know, paid features, I think that they tend to uh, rival each other a little bit. So here, here, here's an interesting question I have for you guys. Andrew, you've, you have one Kickstarter project currently in, in production. Um, I, I, you haven't exactly announced if you're having uh, publicly haven't announced if you have any future projects coming out, but let's say you're, you're a one, one product producer right now. And then, of course, you know, you're you're paying eventually your, your mailing list has gotten so big that you're paying for it. And like you said, it's costing you 60 to 70 dollars a month. Well, when when do you call it quits on that mailing list if you're not going to be continuing product or or unsure of whether your your next uh, Kickstarter is coming out or or you just keep paying that as a incurred cost and loss or or what should you do as a as a publisher? The part of there's a part of me that 
tends to be a little lazy about these things where it's like if I bury my head in the sand, then I won't notice that I'm paying $60 a month. That's actually $720 a year that I'm just wasting. I would so much rather waste that on like good food at restaurants or something. You know, it's, it is something that is a serious consideration. So, or I mean, if you're spending $50 or more per month on your email marketing system, that email marketing system needs to make money for you. So the number one way that your email marketing system, you know, $60 a month is not an expense if it's making you $120 a month or 500 or a thousand. I mean, the email marketing list, I mean, the email list that you have as a company is your most valuable source of, of sales. I mean, it's, it's very easy to send an email. It doesn't cost you a whole lot and it should generate sales. So, you know, one of the things we could kind of get into talking about this is you should definitely be sending emails once a month at minimum if you have a list of any significant size. And if you're, if, you know, for me, I've gone through a couple of months, you know, after the Kickstarter, um, I've sent a couple of email kind of roundups of Kickstarter updates and that sort of thing. Um, but I've not been consistent. So I'm, I've not taken my own advice just the last few months. I've kind of wasted probably, you know, $240. Maybe I've sent one email in the last four months, generally keeping people updated on kickstarter.com instead. But, you know, I have fans that are like, hey, you know, I backed the Kickstarter campaign and this and that, but I, I want to get updates and, or maybe they jumped in on Backerkit after the campaign is over. You know, they're like, how do I get updates? And if I'm only sending on Kickstarter, I'm missing a huge chunk of people. I had 2,700 backers on Kickstarter, well, almost 2,800, and I had 4,500 emails. So I'm missing sales. I'm missing the ability to communicate and, and that sort of thing just by, by not sending emails on the regular. And so that $60 a month or whatever that I'm paying right now, it, it, it's like the opportunity cost. Um, so I could cancel it and save $60. I personally think that that's quite small minded in, in, in a case like mine. It's like, Hey, I, I really need to send a darn email and, and get some pre-sales. You know, there are a lot of people who didn't back the campaign or that maybe, you know, I have 84% of my people have filled out the pledge manager and 14% of them have not. And so um, that's a great way to, you know, increase the, you know, the amount of money that's coming in. And um, so that's, num that's number one. I, I think that that's really important. And then number two, if you are, let's say, you know, you, you may have a situation where your email list has dried up, you know, and this is possible, you know, if uh, I, I've had experiences with clients that have said, hey, you know, I've sent emails and, you know, maybe they have like 500 emails they've cultivated over a few years at conventions or maybe some very small Kickstarters or, you know, that kind of thing. We've had cases like that where the client will say, you know, I've sent emails and I just get no sales. I get no traction and that kind of thing. And it's possible that your email list can kind of dry up if, if you, you're not adding more people to it, or if you're not, you know, coming out with new products or new offerings for the existing market. You know, for me, if I sent a million emails about deliverance to my email list, eventually they'd get bored. And, um, you know, I really have to come up with some sort of follow-up product that, that they can be excited about. Right. It's, I can't just be like a, you know, a flash in the pan as they call it, because those burn out, you can actually stop the automatic payments and go to a, uh, basically like a free account. You know, I definitely recommend you download your list, uh, before you do that, but, um, you should really, you know, it's kind of, for me, it's kind of like a last resort 
but you can save some money just by disabling. And then if you want to send an email again, you'll, you'll re-enable it and you know, they'll charge you 60 bucks or, or whatever you were paying before, but you'll be able to send emails again. So when it comes to the actual email, Andrew, you've sent a lot of emails out in your lifetime. What are some tips you could give our listeners when crafting just a really stellar email? What's the type of things that they should be looking out for? And maybe after that, you could go over some do nots. Sure. Do's and do nots of crafting emails. There's, uh, there are four, for me, like four major elements that are very broad brush stroke theory that I'll give, and then we'll kind of break those down. Uh, the first one is kind of the theme of the email. The email needs to be about one thing. It needs to feature one facet and really like dive deep into that one facet. So the theme of the email, it, it penetrates the subject line, the story and the meaningful content, which are the other three elements of this four, I don't know, theoretical broad brush stroke strategy that I'm talking about. So you've got your theme, your subject line, your story, and your meaningful content. So the theme of the email, oftentimes it'll be something like, I want to talk about game mechanics in this in this email, or I want to talk about we're getting close to Kickstarter and here's what you can do to help, or um, other, other things like that. Um, maybe it's art or it's the you know, the actual story of your game, like what you're doing is you're giving your, you want to give your audience. So it's like one central idea to guide you as you're writing your email so that everything in this email should be about this. You don't, I mean, I think I found it very hard to write emails sometimes when, when it's like, all right, I'm going to give them an update for whatever happened in the last 30 days. It's sometimes difficult to craft a story uh, when you're just like, all right, here's a bunch of like copy pasted stuff that I posted in my Facebook group or whatever, you know, it's like, it's not really one, it's, it's kind of hard to put all that together. It looks like copy paste, you know? So crafting a story, I like to do that in a particular way. And I, I know that um, not everybody is going to be on the same page with me. I know that we've gotten it wrong before. Like we were working with uh, Ryan Wianco of, um, you know, on, on his project. And I think his audience actually didn't like the way that we crafted the story. So it doesn't work all the time, but I really like to introduce emails and I'm going to use the word theme again, but with a thematic introduction, meaning the very first thing that you read when, you know, that a, an audience person or whatever somebody in your audience reads when they are, when they open your email is something that is fun, thematic, and a, a complete story made up story. You know, one of my favorite ones that I ever did was, for legions of steel this is back in the day uh now it's a couple years ago like 2019 and it's 2022 now so wow we've been doing this a little while um it was like a sci-fi it reminded me a lot of like starship troopers you know sci-fi tropes and whatnot and uh which is apparently satire i didn't realize that it's i mean kind of feels like that <laughs> yeah know, from back in the day the idea is that you know you're you're some rookie and you're going to be chewed up by the aliens anyway. So here, let's give you live rounds and hopefully you can figure out the, the right direction to fire your rifle, you know, but if you, if you die, if you kill yourself like an idiot, then we've got plenty of more cannon fodder. So step in line, you know, kind of thing. And that was the introduction, something like that was the introduction of the email. 
And it, it wasn't like, you know, hey, guys, this is, you know, Marco Picota, who I believe listens to our podcast and is a good friend of mine, has this this intellectual property. And it's, it was very fun to write. I felt like pulling people in with a thematic thing immediately removes the idea of selling. Like, I'm not selling to you. I'm telling you a story. And that's what, you know, kind of draws people in. Uh, especially when something is a very thematic game, it's really difficult to do that for something abstract like Azul. You know, I mean, it's like a tile laying game or patchwork, which is you're making a quilt, you know, something like that. It's like difficult to do as that. I sat on my porch <laughs> with my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to make a quilt better than her. The idea behind crafting that story that just gets them into the mode to be interested in the rest. You know, I think that the introduction should, all it should do is, is make them want to read more and become interested. And I think, um, you know, that, that little area was, was one that, that, you know, we, we talked about a little bit. Um, I think that, you know, it's difficult to, to do that, you know, just the, it's more down to like taste. So after that, how to do the call to action, the call to action is the thing that makes money or the thing that gets people to do what you want them to do. It's a, oftentimes you can hide a call to action, like click here for more information or whatever in the actual text. You can have thematic calls to action, like cross skills. now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Something like that, which would be like a big, you know, highlighted, maybe a big button in red or orange or blue or whatever color that is your kind of action color, which by the way, you should have one color for all the actions in your email. So anything important that you want them to do should be the same color. So the, um, but the call to action is where most great emails fall short for me. And you need to have a call to action that is the very same. I don't want to have like, join our discord, join our Facebook, join our, you know, back our game on Kickstarter, you know, and, uh, you know, visit our website. I, I want every call to action to have the very same purpose. So you could have a call to action that says join our Facebook community and then another that says join our Discord community if you want to grow your communities, if that's the whole idea behind you know, your, your goal, uh, which should be your goal before your Kickstarter launches. Your call to action should probably be back our Kickstarter if your Kickstarter is live, right? And then uh, maybe you know in post-campaign, if you're in a pledge manager situation, it's like buy our, or pre-order our product on Backerkit or you know, whatever, or GameFound. And then, you know, obviously if you are selling your product on the web, on your website after, you know, long after it should be something related to, you know, check our, or check this out on our website or, you know, buy now. Those types of calls to action are very important and they, you should have more than one of them in your email. If you have one single call to action at the very bottom of your email, chances are most people are not going to scroll that far. Or if they do scroll that far, they may not actually internalize that as a call to action and a message and a thing that they would care to do. But if you just so happen to have a call to action in every single section that there's meaningful content, then all of a sudden you are, you're, you're more likely to get uh, higher click-through rates and more engagement and, and that sort of thing. Because I remember I, I did craft a them thematic story for Fallen Land and they certainly appreciated this kind of sto story arc that we created. Basically, we created a story through the emails building up to the Kickstarter launch about, because uh, it's a game sort of set in a post-apocalyptic stage and it was about these raiders coming to like this encampment and blowing up the door and kind of having like this skirmish with, with the people and uh, kind of 
ended at a cliffhanger before the launch. And that was a lot of fun to write. It was like running an, an action script or something. And <laughs> I think they appreciated it. I think their their fans certainly did as well. So it's it's more so having like a plan, right? Having a beginning, mm-hmm. middle, and an end. It's sort of knowing the end of the story before you start writing. Is that is that what you, you suspect? You know, I think that uh, what helps me the most is um, every board game and video game for that matter, any any game at all, you should be, as a player, the story is plays out in your head. It's like when you're reading a good book, you're, it might not describe the hair color of the main character. It might not describe their eye color, their voice, but in your head, when you're reading that book, it, you kind of piece all of those things together, which is why oftentimes when you watch the movie and you're a fan of a book series, you see what you know, the way that they interpreted it. And you're like, Harry Potter doesn't have black hair. He has blonde hair or whatever, because that's the way it was in your head. Something happens when you're playing a really good game. You're not moving cubes around a board. You're cleansing plague from a city, you know, as of course in pandemic. And you're not, you know, talking to players. You're negotiating with, with opposing alien races, right? And uh, things like that. So there, there is a story, depending on what game it is, you know, Twilight Imperium or, or Dune or, you know, and um, you are telling yourself this story in your head. And what, where, what I, where I find inspiration is just simply thinking about the story that the game is telling me and then, you know, or that, it, that the kind of story it would tell me and just making a version up. You know, the story begins in the, in the same way that the, the game works. So Deliverance, you know, you start out as these angels and you're fighting demons in, in this town. And it's like, I kind of want to know why I'm there, who am I, why I should care, and that sort of thing. And that's kind of, those are my universal rules for every game I play. Who am I and what am I doing and why should I care? I, I want to know those things in the story, you know? Now, when it comes to... uh Mark, this, this marketing email that you're, you're, you're constructing, you've talked a lot about building a story. Um, you've also talked about having multiple call to actions, but to the same task or goal, not separate going everywhere else, but pretty much one goal, one end goal, have the end in mind and have these multiple call to actions throughout your email to this goal. Would you compare this like sort of like a, uh, cause what I'm thinking is, would you compare this to like a landing page, uh, in a way? Yeah, it really is. You know, I mean, each section of a landing page is there on purpose. And, you know, it kind of goes into our, the next point, which was for, for me in an email marketing system or, you know, in an email, each section that you place in that email, it needs to be meaningful. So every section has to have meaningful content. And if it doesn't, then that section should not exist there. And so the landing page, and of course it should all direct, you know, to one end point. Right. But uh, the landing page is much the same. You're right. The above the fold section in a landing page should be for people that already kind of know what it is, that maybe they heard about it from a friend or they met you at a convention and are, you know, visiting the website from your little pamphlet that you handed out. Or, you know, maybe they're clicking the the link in their welcome email that they got or whatever, you know that section exists for those people. And then below that, you've got the, what is it for people who don't know what your game is? And then after that, it's kind of like the, how is the game played section? And all of that, you know, really appeals to the same person with three different mindsets. So a person that either knows what it is and is excited about it, that is 
excited but doesn't know what it is and that you know third per- third type is they don't know what it is they weren't excited about it they just need more information i guess i don't know about excitement but but yeah and then the call to action in each of those sections is the same you know either join the mailing list or back now on kickstarter or whatever it is but you know you're you're not appealing to to different people i guess you're you're appealing to maybe the same type of person that is at a different stage in the selling process or or if that makes sense or different different stage of the funnel now you've talked a lot about you know um about having crafting you know developing a theme building a story how long should this email be my emails are really long <laughs> oftentimes a little too long probably and i i'd love to hear sean's feedback on this too uh, my thought is that each section that i add as long as it's meaningful it belongs there and however long the email ends up being is how long the email ends up being and um, the one thing that that you really have to be careful about is just more of like a technical thing. The sizes of your images, you need to make sure that those aren't huge because, you know, really, I, I would say, you know, your images should be maybe 800 pixels wide, 72 DPI, somewhere around that, like 600 by 800 or maybe 700 by 800 pixels, uh, you know, something like that. And uh, whatever ratio, if it's like a landscape, it's obviously going to be different than if it's portrait or square. But the the point is that you don't want to have images that are so big that they take, uh, that they blow up people's inboxes because emails like that get either put into spam, not delivered, or the worst is when Gmail cuts them off because they're too long. That is straight up boils down to your the size and the quantity of your images. So I would always have in, in each content section at least one image and no more than like five images. I'd also avoid uh, GIFs because obviously they're quite clunky as well, but you have certain email providers that don't actually load them. So Outlook is an, an example of this where GIF files don't load. So you'll basically just insert a JPEG for the first frame of your GIF, which could look horrible. So it's just something to keep in mind. If you ever send emails up, some people might be using Outlook and it's just not going to work on that platform. Yeah, no, no one wants to see your uh, animated meme on uh, in, in, in an email. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, as far as what, what's your opinion on the length of emails? And Sean, do you have any kind of rule that you operate by? I think you either got to keep them short or keep them long. I think there's like, I think there's this middle ground where you want to try to avoid. I'm trying, just trying to think of emails that I've ever opened and I've appreciated just as my, like my own personal user experience is I've either appreciated a long email that's given me a lot of information I could either flick through and just ignore or I've appreciated a very short email that was very poignant and had like one simple call to action. I don't think there's, there's no email that sort of stood out to me that was like, oh, this was like medium length. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, I think it's, it either has to be long or short and I think you've got to sort of choose. But mm-hmm. I, I think... I don't think that you should try and make it long if it isn't going to be long. I think, as you're right, it has to be meaningful content. You don't want to just throw everything that's happened since your last email into the email. You want to pick what's the most interesting, most appealing, and Mm -hmm. include that in your email. And that's what we try to do. We we scan our clients' Kickstarter pages. I even ask them. I ask the client, hey, tell me what's the most exciting thing that's happened and send me anything you want to include in the email. And I can filter it and then 
put it in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I also, I, I would say in general, I think um, most of my emails end up being like three to five sections. So I've got the story at the top and the conclusion at the bottom. Oftentimes the story above that, it has like the image of the game or maybe the game box or, or something like that that just like, I want people to know, oh, that's this thing that I'm interested in. Yeah, that's oh, Deliverance or Fallen Land or you know Skyrim or whatever. Then the next three sections in the middle, you know, could be up to three sections are what I call that, those meaningful content sections. And then at the very end is a conclusion of like, this is happening next and, you know, look forward to that thing. And thanks for following us on this journey or thanks for taking this journey with us. Just a, a little bit of a thank you, you know. Um, so the, the for me, the meaningful content sections in the middle have ranged from, you know, discussing the uh, the actual gameplay mechanics and the way that that works, discussing the, the story and why we've you know, why we took this approach, talking about feedback and, you know, our backer feedback or changes that we decided to make or other things like that. When obviously you have, when you have more assets, like for example, we've revealed miniatures at one point or talked about the metal coins or the neoprene mat add-ons and, you know, or even the pricing and the, the whole offer. I, I actually share one of the things that I think is quite important is if your backers, if your future backers, let's say you're you're before Kickstarter and your future backers are going to your website and they look at you know the game and they're very interested in it, they join your email list and everything like that. If the first time that they see the price is on the Kickstarter page, I think that that's a mistake. They are going to see the price. I think that you need to prepare them for what it is that they're going to see. You know, even if it's like, hey, you know, you might have. A, for me, I had a version that was. $1,500, you know, that somebody could buy seven people could, could buy at 1500 and, and, uh, it ended up being like 30 people could buy at $750. And I made sure that those things were not surprises. You don't want to leave those. And even the base game it was $59 for the base game and $89 for the deluxe edition and 149 for the all in with all the add-ons and stuff, those types of things, you should make sure that your backers know what the prices are going to be um, so that the number one, they can, they all have budgets, you know, not everybody is, you know, a Saudi, uh, a Saudi Arabian oil millionaire. You need to make sure that they can like budget for this. Right. Do, do you know some of those people? <laughs> <laughs> Funny enough, I actually wrestled or I, I did Brazilian Jiu Jitsu with uh, the Sheik of the United Arab Emirates, the crown prince of the UAE. Oh, cool. Did he tip you? He, dude, he's new. <laughs> Actually, he's a black belt now, but it was pretty cool. You know, I had no idea. It was like just some some guy. You know, you never know who you're gonna you're gonna rub elbows with. Yeah, you, <laughs> you never know whose armpits you're gonna. Lift. <laughs> yeah, definitely. He definitely sweat into my face. So that's gross. Should have bottled it anyway. As an avid reaver, reader of emails, just like the billions of people in this world, everyone's pretty much got an email. I would have to agree with Sean, where I like a combination of uh, either it's either going to be really long or really short. And some kind of combination of that, like, for example, you know, if, if you're like literally launching your Kickstarter, like if your Kickstarter is going live, I'd be like, hey, hey, guys, Kickstarter's live. Go, go, go. Like that'd be like, like, you know, I, I ain't going to construct a story yep. for that. But maybe the ones that don't open it immediately, then maybe we could follow up with some more details. But uh, I think I think like like you said, you know, 
you, you, your email has sections where the top pretty much is the people who are excited to know. Sometimes you just need to send that as the I think as as the email itself, and then for those that don't open it, you can use your you know your email tools that you have available to see who hasn't seen it. Then maybe you can send up a follow up and you know get them mm-hmm. get them a little more details than that. But yeah, if if, I, if I'm excited and I want to see that Kickstarter launch and it's launching, I I just want to be like, okay, click this now, go bye. So let's break this down just as a recap. So we have a thematic intro which is covers the story. We then have meaningful content, and then a conclusion, and that's basically the the craft or the outline of your your email. And then your email needs to have an overall theme. So it could either be game mechanics. Or it could be you coming up to Kickstarter. It could be a re- reveal of miniatures or something to that extent. But you need to have an overall theme that all of those content sections uh, sort of uh, relate to each other. Is that anything else to add? That to simply update people on your progress is a legitimate email send. So there are going to be a lot of times that you just don't have really cool assets. You're not ready to say, hey, we're going to Kickstarter and you know, T minus 30 days or whatever, uh, you may it for me, I had my email list live and kicking two years before I hit Kickstarter, before I had any art that had color on it. And it was like, yeah, here's an update. Here's a progress update. Some people aren't going to care for it. Other people will. And that's just how it is. You know, it's, it's okay that 100% of your list does not open your email. You'll get your open rates and you'll get your hardcore fans and you'll get people that fall off. And that's just how it is. The number one mistake that you can make is not sending an email. If you don't send an email, email marketing won't work for you no matter (laughs) what. And if you think that people are going to be annoyed by your emails when they're getting daily emails from Staples and Seth Godin and random other businesses that they signed up for. Oh my goodness. Facebook spams you with emails. Yeah. And people just deal with that. And yet you sending a once a month email is going to annoy them. Oh, it tipped me over the edge. He sent me one too many emails. I'm not just going to click this as read, or I'm not just going to skip it. I'm going to click and then find the unsubscribe button and then claim abuse. That's just not the way people work. People like to be abused, I think, in their email (laughs) inbox. Well, like you were saying, um, like you said, if you haven't sent one, send one. It doesn't like it doesn't even have to be about your game. Just say, hey, this is what's going on in my life. So I'll let you guys know. It shows that you're human and that's what attracts people. You're, they're not looking at a sales robot that is sending out pitch by pitch by pitch. Um, you need to put in these moments of 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 humanism. I don't know what the word is for that. Yeah, um, we're going to use humanism <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to, to show that there's someone actually behind this game that you know there, there's a soul <laughs> yeah. that's uh that's doing it you, you you can't just be sell 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 and some you know some people i've seen like who've been marketing that's all they do it's just like no yep. <laughs> you gotta you gotta put in some human moments in there <laughs> yeah and you know uh on on that on that front one of the things i'm going to be sending in my next email is that my house is a box fortress um because we're moving right i mean by the the on the day that this podcast airs, I will be flying in a plane with all of my family from California to Texas to you know to move, and I am of the personal belief that you are your company and those your fans care about you. So for me, I think that my fans they they want to know they they want to know about me and what I'm going through, and also 
it certainly does impact the timeline of delivery of my Kickstarter and that kind of thing. The fact that I am moving, right? So it is meaningful. So, um, so anyway, just, just a random little addition there that, you know, of how I plan on adding heart into my next email. So we've covered the content of emails and we probably should cover subject lines just before we wrap up. What makes an effective subject line and what should people avoid? I know there's certain words that we should avoid, like download and free, uh, because those can trigger spam filters. Yeah, putting a dollar sign in a number is going to get you flagged. The uh, you know numbers of any kind, I am, I I do not use them uh, in in a subject line. So unless it's like you know seven tips or whatever, uh, I still don't like numbers. So. Probably the word money, seven tips to make money online. That's probably going to get <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. There are many of those scams out there. So that's a, a big thing. Um, another thing is making it too long is a mistake. People, t- there's lots of studies that have been done and people tend to remember the first three words and the last three words of a subject line. So if your subject line is six words, people will be more, much more likely to remember it. And if the first three words and the last three words kind of form a complete thought, people will like generally get the gist of what it is that you're, that that's in that email. And I mean, they, they, they'll be more likely to open it if they understand what, like, why did I receive this into my inbox? It also helps if people recognize the sender in general. And so, you know, you may try to kind of take an emoji. For me, it's the angel emoji. I use the angel emoji in every single email that I send. And, you know, it's like, uh, I find, you know, I get really great open rates because people just recognize who the email is coming from right away. It's generally frowned upon to use more than one emoji. I know MailChimp is always grumpy about that if you use like two emojis in a, in a subject line, but I haven't seen any like negative, you know, using too many emojis. I think that actually emojis can make a very powerful statement in an email and they are not text. So people are more likely to, to look at them. I think there are a lot of really great emojis you can use for games as well. Another cornerstone of a subject line is that it should absolutely have a call to action word. So you should have a verb in there. That's like, get check this out or whatever, you know, like you need to have some sort of action verb in your email so a call to action in this uh, sorry in the subject line a call to action in the subject line itself and you do have uh so it's you know you you want to explain what it is that people are going to be opening and what they should expect when they actually click through so uh what do you call it sense 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 words work very well too like see uh here um you know like here the latest taste you know, or, you know, yeah, I don't know about t- I don't know get, a get a taste of these angels. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> now, uh, one thing maybe time to lick your screen. <laughs> oh, I, I shouldn't have even brought that part up. Anyway, uh, what about uh, length? Um, I'm sitting here looking at my email on my phone right now, and it shows like the first five or six words, and after that, it cuts off. Is is length of a of a header uh, important? You know, shorter is better. Is the general adage. In, in a way, it kind of reminds me of um, when I did, I did all this work, you know, feels like back in the day now, but I, I did a bunch of work with a very smart business coach and he, you know, on, on my slogan, my company's slogan, every single word that made it into that slogan 
had to be argued for. There had to be a purpose to it. And every single word was like, I'm deleting this unless you can justify why this word is here. So I think that you should do the same with your subject lines. If you can delete a conjunction, if it doesn't need one, if you can delete one of your descriptive words, and if you can justify doing that, if, if the email subject line doesn't lose something essential, then you should. I think that some of the most, really the most incredible emails that I've seen have like two words in the subject line with an emoji or two. And up yours. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> exactly. Wrong two words. Yeah. Get some <laughs> with like cross swords emoji. What about, what about click, click now? Uh, no, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would just recommend keep it short and sweet. Make sure people know what it is that they're getting into and give people a reason to, to click and test things. You know, um, also very important that you have a, um, the subject line and uh, I forget what it's called right now, like this descriptive text that will go right after it. And you can be a little more general in that little descriptive text area. You guys know what I'm talking about? What is it called? Yeah, it's called, I think it's the um, preview text. That's right. That's, that's what, you know, the basically show, you know, if, if you have nothing in that box, it'll just start showing the content, the word, the first words that show up in your email. Um, but you know, you can, you can use preview text to say what's included, like what for me, my default is the three meaningful content blocks that I put in. I want to like touch each one of those or one meaningful content block. You can AB test subject lines within MailChimp. So you can send out an AB test email and it will then segment your email list and then it'll pick a winner after like 10 or 30%, whatever you set it to, and then it'll send the winning subject line to the rest of the mailing list. Yeah. In fact, um, I'm, like I said, I'm looking at my, my, on my, on my phone email. And, um, so it's showing the first line is for who it's from. Uh, the second line is the, the, uh, the, the subject, but then the third line is like the first, uh, I guess sentence or part of it. It's like, it's just like the, the subject it's got like six, seven, eight words. Um, and it's almost crafted. You could almost like craft it like a, a an AdWords campaign. I mean, you could literally, you know, have part of it. You could have your subject and actually have your first sentence sort of uh, go along with that subject to uh, create an enticing uh, um, ad, not ad, but message that people would click on. Yeah, Which is interesting because so. I'm in um, Thunderbird, my email desktop provider here, and that doesn't show preview text. It just has the subject and the sender and the date. So it kind of shows you, mm -hmm. you know, some email inboxes don't include that. So it shows you the importance of that subject line all the more. Yep, absolutely. Sometimes, you know, you can look in and figure out, um, you know, what, you know, if you send out a bunch of emails, you can figure out what your, um, you know, certain emails would have a better open rate. Uh, for me, like my, you know, live on Kickstarter email had like a 60% open rate. You know, that one is something that people are kind of expecting. Most of my emails would kind of oscillate between 30 and 40% open rates. Very, very important. Do not forget to, you can resend your email to people who did not open the first one. And so let's say I would get 30% of the first wave. Uh, let's keep it simple and say a thousand people, 300 of them opened the email and then 700 did not. So I know that there's a portion of that 700 that looked at it, chose not to open it and scrolled on past or did something else. 
right? But there are other people that just didn't, maybe didn't see it. So what I do in a resend, so I, I copy the email and then send it to the group that did not, that received, but did not open the, the last, my last email. And I change the subject line to something else. So that's very important. Don't resend the email with the exact same subject line because there were people who looked at that and chose not to open it because of the subject line that will open it if you change it to something else. I, I can give you a few examples on that. Yeah. <laughs> For example, your subject line, the next one could say, I'm sorry. And then that really ties people like, what are you sorry yeah. for? And of course, you're like, I'm sorry. I launched my game on Kickstarter. <laughs> Here's the link <laughs> or uh, or thank you. Have, have, have one that says thank you. Yep. And then talk about how grateful you are for the people who've already just immediately got got your new game. I mean, yeah, subject mm -hmm. lines can be can be crazy. And those are just two word subject lines that would catch people's attention yep. after if, if you didn't catch their attention with the uh, the Kickstarter live one. Yeah, that, you know, there was this one time I sent an email. Um, there's a, a list of about 40 or 50,000 people. And um, I sent not in a different industry other than board, other than gaming. And uh, I sent an email and it, it, it was supposed to include a link and it didn't. And then I resent an email the next day saying, whoops, sorry, <laughs> here's that link. And it had um, so normal up, uh, normal open rates were like 25 to 30%. And this one had a 58% open rate because I said, whoops, as the, uh, as, as the main, it was really shocking. Uh, so People they were just from, like cats. Yeah. Very curious. Exactly. So the client <laughs> went from being mad to being very happy. <laughs> so it was pretty cool. Like we did that on purpose. Yeah. I suppose that, that <laughs> the highlights, the, the dangers of email is that you got to be very careful what you send out because once it's out there, it's out there. You can't retract it and edit it. Yep. So you got to be very careful that it's spell checked and that you've got correct information that you've got links. So, um, but yeah, there, there are those, um, backups. You can just resend something and say, oops, I, I forgot this. And so that can happen, but, uh, yeah. you've got to be careful with sending emails out. I always sweat yeah. when I, when I do it. <laughs> <laughs> like that picture of, uh, was it key and peel where he's like sweating like crazy? Yeah. <laughs> like hovering. Chris yeah. hovering over the send, shaking. <laughs> yeah, I got fired one time. Uh, it was like one of my most embarrassing moments uh, as as a company. I got fired one time for uh, from a client because they asked, like, they just asked for a favor, and I'm like, yeah, I'll be a good guy and do this favor for you. They wanted an Independence Day email. It's an insurance company. They wanted an Independence Day email sent out, and we were like, sure. It's like July second, and they want the email sent out the morning of July 4th and it's a weekend. So of course nobody's working, but they're like, would you please do this for us? And we were like, sure, we'll be the heroes. And I had a, one of my, one of my employees, uh, Blake sent out this email that was happy independence day and all that. And he sent it to them for a uh, review and they didn't say anything. So, you know, we scheduled it for, you know, July 4th and it went out to their, book of, uh, I mean, 5,000 clients or something like that. And we misspelled the word independence. It was, we missed the D and for the next two weeks, they had clients calling them, telling them what idiots they were, that independence is spelled with a D and we got fired. So <laughs> they got so mad at us. They they're like, how dare you misspell this? We looked like such idiots. It was like such a simple fix, but 
oh my gosh, nobody double checked. You know, our, our process at that time was we'll send you a copy, a test of the email. You make sure that it's right. And you know, we'll, you approve us to schedule it and we will, but because it was only two days, we were like, well, we better schedule this just in case because it's not going to go out if, if they don't approve it. And I learned the error of my ways. It would have been better for us if we um, did not send it out because it wasn't approved. And uh, so I, you know, now internally uh, we do a lot of, I don't know how much we do of this anymore because emails need to fly out left and right. But uh, we usually try to have somebody else double check. You know, just I think though that would that that would have been a lose lose no matter what because you know even if you didn't send it out then they would have been mad at you for not sending it out an email. Well, you didn't send out an email like we asked you to. So, yeah, but we'd have probably I, kept I them as think... a client if we if we didn't <laughs> make them look like idiots to their you know thousands of customers. It was definitely one of the the tail between my legs moments that was like oh I really screwed up. I, I don't know as a, like, you know, as a company though, you could have took advantage of that. Like you could be like, yeah, you know, we're all yeah, you know, someone like, Whoops. Oh, you guys are idiots. Yeah. We're, well, we're all, we're all, we're all human. And sometimes, you know, my finger must've not hit that D. But if they were smart, they would have said, this is why you need insurance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is why insurance exists. Yeah. It could have been a win for they them. Could, they could have turned that. it around and made it into a sales pitch. So it's their loss. Because of all the people responding, like, you know, like you said, it actually caught people's, the misspelling actually caught attention. And the attention is what you wanted in the first place. Yeah. So all you had to do is just spin it to your favor. Right. But, you know, when you're dealing with uh, the, these, these types of folks, we'll say in, in the insurance industry, there's uh, not a lot of, for, for them, maybe not a lot of technological uh, familiarity. Uh, we'll say because of the maybe the generation and then also um, not a lot of trust when you screwed up the first time. <laughs> Although I did use it as a, as a learning experience and it really helped. And uh, it also kind of endeared the staffer to me quite a bit. Uh, he's uh, Blake worked for me for like four years. And, uh, you know, I was like, you know, kind of took the model of um, it's actually one of the one of the the places that I that was quite um influential in my development as a, as a, as a manager of, of others was um, it was Steve jobs that said uh, that did not want the iPad. And one of his senior advisors was like, we need to do this. And then Steve jobs was like, fine, but if you, if it fails, then you're responsible for it. And he wasn't going to fire that person. He was going to make them uh, make it up to him, you know, in, in business and working extra or whatever. Right. And, so when we lost that really large client, it was, you know, just, I know, I know a lot of others would have been like, well, you know, they lost faith in that employee. But I, I, I thought, you know, I, I, I understand that, you know, we made errors and what can we learn from it and, you know, how can we do better, but, you know, just do better. Ne- I know you'll do better next time. You know, and it, it, it gives me a glimmer of hope because uh, in the future, if I ever make a big mistake, there's a chance that Andrew will not fire me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a believer in people. You know, I think that we're all we're all working to make a living, feed our families. We're not living to go to work or or anything like that. I, I, I think that as much as we can, you know, use it as a learning experience and keep the knowledge inside the company. You know, it's one of the reasons we don't we don't turn over staff. I I. I, you know, this is in my own head, I think why we don't turn over staff so quickly is just because people aren't freaked out to make a mistake. <laughs> yeah. But they're still the merciful. 
she'll receive mercy. Yeah, so I guess that's uh, all the time we have for today, isn't it? Yes, it is. That's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. And of course, have a happy New Year's and stay nerdy.